Welcome to the Cold Brew Podcast. It is October 7th. It's finally time for October baseball. I'm Dave Gasper, joined as always by Matt Carroll. We are the guys at reviewingthebrew.com. Postseason baseball is finally upon us. We are here. We made it through 162 games. The final seven or so were really not kind of fun to watch, (laughs) but we made it. And we are finally ready for the NLDS uh, after some crazy wild card games. They were they were kind of fun. The Red Sox and the Yankees. That's always big. Uh, the Dodgers walking off the Cardinals. And I don't know. I'm even though the Dodgers won, I'm kind of relieved that that we don't have to face the Cardinals uh, when it comes to the postseason. Yeah, and um I'm not going to lie, I'm actually a little bit relieved, even though it felt weird hearing Brian Anderson call and get excited um, for that Dodgers walk-off. I'm way happier that I didn't have to listen to Brian Anderson get excited for a Cardinals walk-off, because <laughs> that would have just been wrong. It would have been yeah. so wrong. So wrong. So wrong. But uh, now we got the Giants and the Dodgers on the other NLDS, and we have the Brewers and the Braves here in our NLDS. And as we kind of discuss and, and preview this NLDS, we're going to bring in our guest this week. Joining us, Matt Pauley of the Brewers Extra Innings Podcast. Friend of the podcast, Matt. How you doing, man? I'm great. How are you guys doing? I am doing great. I'm ready for postseason baseball. I'm not doing as great as Matt, though. Matt, I think your your cold brew might be a little bit less uh, brew-slash-beer-like. Oh, no, you you do got the I've beer. I've switched, yep. Oh, yep, you, you switched. switched from the scotch. I did have a victory scotch earlier. Um, got a promotion at work uh, officially hey! announced today. Thank you. Um, Congratulations. Which is not only good for obvious work reasons, um, but will kind of free me up uh, to get back into working for the site some more, hopefully kind of jump back into editing. Um, had to take a step away from that for the summer, which um, was a little tough to do, obviously, but... Uh, um, the work-life balance shall return um, just in time for off-season analysis, right? Exactly, because I've been doing this solo, man, for months, <laughs> and it is exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, it's, but yeah, great to, that uh, going to be getting you back and very excited about your uh, promotion at work. Congratulations, man. Um, all right, so now we've got the postseason upon us. Brewers, Braves, the Hank Aaron series. The, the Milwaukee and Milwaukee's X series, you know, the, the team that left us for someplace warmer and more attractive with more money. And now, now, now it's back. Now we're back facing off and a chance to get revenge and to win the breakup, Matt Pauley. So I lived in Georgia for a little while. I didn't live in Atlanta. I lived in South Georgia. Albany, Georgia, to be specific. Mm. I, uh, I've i lived a lot of places, a lot of places. It's the least favorite place I've ever lived in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I can't tell you how much I hate. The only thing, I had so many wonderful friends there. The people that I was friends with were great, but every other aspect of living in South Georgia was the one of the worst experiences of my life. So don't you tell me that Atlanta is prettier, more like what? No. Well, it's Wisconsin. Trust me, you want to live here. You do not want to live there. You want to live here. See, that's what we were saying when they when they left for mm-hmm. Atlanta. 
but they're just like, no, we're going to go anyways. And it's like, you had something good here, but, you know, if you want to go down there and deal with that, but, oh, well. So, anyways, we got the series going on, um, and it's going to be, I I think there's a lot of people that are looking ahead to the NLCS already, uh, but I, I think that's premature. I mean, the the Braves had a really kind of uh, good bounce back after they lost Ronald Acuna. After they lost Ronald Acuna back in July, I thought they were just going to be dead in the water. And it was going to be down to the Phillies or the Mets um, or someone else in that NL East. But what I forgot was everyone else in the NL East sucks. Like, they are <laughs> just an absolute dumpster fire, every single other organization out there. Uh, so the Braves end up winning – with like what 87 wins they won the division and they won it by like six games like it's just crazy but uh atlanta comes in and they're they're not it's not gonna be a cakewalk no it's not uh i like this atlanta team and you look at their power specifically i was talking about this uh earlier today we were doing a show on on wtmj i want to make sure i get this right so i'm gonna look this up real quick they have six players one two three four five yeah six players who have hit 27 or more home runs this season that is that is a lot of power right there uh up and down the lineup Uh, to me um look i think i honestly think any of the four teams in the national league could make it to the world series and i don't know if i've ever said that before like in the american league like i don't think the boston red sox are a world series team Uh, to me that's very clear and watch them make the world series after me saying that. But I think it's clear that in the American league, the Red Sox are not a world series team and the national league. I can see a very legitimate path for the Brewers, Dodgers, Giants, and Braves all to make it in. And, you know, MLB.com this past week did a, a, a position by position uh, comparison to Brewers and Braves where they did all the positions and they did starting pitching and relief pitching. And it came down to a five, five tie and, there were some areas where I didn't completely agree with what was written there, but the the basic idea is that I do think these are two evenly matched teams. And I just going back to the power, I have a feeling that when this series gets over, if the Braves hit a whole bunch of home runs over these potentially five games, the Braves are winning the series. If the Brewers pitching was able to limit home runs, I think the Brewers win the series. It's that's one of those kind of simple keys to the series for me. Yeah, and I still think, though, um, let's not overlook that uh, the starting staff, at least the ones that will be used um, in a shortened rotation series uh, like the NLDS, um, that top three of Morton, Freed, and Anderson, um, that's tough. Those are three very good pitchers um, that the Brewers are going to potentially go up against. I feel like the Brewers have uh, had their issues against Ian Anderson in particular in the past. If I'm remembering correctly, uh, I may not be remembering correctly. Um, But, you know, if you end up in one of those situations where, you know, hopefully the Brewers don't have a offensive outage, but if they happen to have that right around matching up with these three pitchers, it could be a little bit of trouble. And I think with all the talk about, you know, the Brewers starting staff and the Dodgers starting staff, um, and you have a couple of you know, really strong frontline guys on the Giants in um, like Logan Webb and Kevin Gosman um, don't rule out these brave starters by any means. So nope. that's going to be another hurdle for them. Yeah, they're good. They're You're right. They're good. For some reason, maybe maybe I'm just crazy. I feel pretty good about the Brewers chances against Morton. Uh, and 
we'll see how that prediction holds up here in, in 24 <laughs> hours or so. Uh, but Freed really scares me. Brewers have not had as mm-hmm. much success against lefties, and Freed has been really good. And I think Anderson is kind of that wild card. This could really be – I would not be shocked for this to be a 1-1 series and that Anderson versus – Probably Peralta, but they haven't announced it. So, and and the other day, Craig Council talked a lot about you know the the roles and the the titles are not going to matter as much, and that really got me thinking that maybe they're going to do something a little bit wacky, especially with that third start with Peralta. Uh, that that third game could end up being the big big game in this series. Yeah, and that third game is starting at twelve o'clock noon local oh. time. Maybe um, there is a possibility for it to get uh, if either of the American League series can end in three, then the Brewers will be pushed back. Ah, oh, well, that, let's hope. Yeah, yes. let, let's hope. But, you know, currently the Houston Astros are up one nothing over the White Sox. And I'm not necessarily looking uh, forward to the Houston Astros winning in three. Um, mm-hmm. I'd very much like to see them get eliminated. But, you know, oh, well. Uh, but yeah, the, like that, that's going to be a very interesting um, game, game three. And I mean, really, w- when you look at, you know, the Brewers, like, as you mentioned there, Matt, um, about cutting down on home runs, you know, uh, on the home run ball. Um, <laughs> man, you're both named Matt, so you're just, you're just kind of <laughs> looking at me confused. But I know one of you mentioned it, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, but Matt, as you mentioned... Uh, the you know the the home run ball being important and, and not giving that up. Um, Corbin Burns gave up the fewest home runs in baseball this year of any qualified pitcher. Gave up seven. The next closest was actually Max Fried in the National League with 15. So more than double what Burns gave up in terms of home runs is the next closest qualified pitcher. So if you're if there's going to be anyone you know to limit a home run hitting lineup. It's going to be Corbin Burns in game one. Absolutely. Uh, and that's if that's why the Brewers really have to win game number one. That, it's a really, really important game. And, I mean, you re- look at the the numbers of what they gave up. So Corbin Burns gives up seven. Even Brandon Woodruff. Woodruff gave up the most home runs of any uh, pitcher on the staff. He gave up 18. That's not a horrible number. Uh, Eric Lauer gave up 16 in less innings. So you do kind of look to him as somebody who's been a little bit more uh, home run prone. Uh, but the, the Brewers as a staff, with the numbers you gave on Burns were correct. And he is leading the way in this category. Uh, but the Brewers overall as a pitching staff this year, they didn't give up a whole lot of home runs. So this is a what makes this really cool is it's strength against strength. And that's what you want to see. You want to see my best against your best. and if the Brewers best is pitchers that don't give up home runs and the Braves best is a bunch of guys who hit a bunch of home runs, well, then that means we're probably going to see a pretty entertaining series. Man, I know this obviously won't necessarily hold up from regular season to postseason, but speaking about um, how important it'll be for the Brewers to get off to a win in that Corbin Burns start, Brewers 19-9 and in Corbin Burns starts. And as we know, especially due to lack of run support, only 16 and 14 in Brandon Woodruff starts. Um, so really important then to get off to that game one win. You've got the home crowd behind you. Um, really start off strong and then hope that you can have someone, again, like I'm saying, it's not not saying that's going to translate um, to the postseason at all. Um, but just imagine the uh, just momentum you give yourself 
by really just behind a dominant start of someone like Burns, who has just looked amazing down the stretch, um, just giving a beautiful start to the Brewers this postseason. Yeah, I, um, I'm really excited for what we're going to see potentially on Friday. First off, it's kind of interesting because the Brewers, we, we've talked so much about the Brewers' playoff streak of being in the playoffs all these years. But in terms of people like actually getting to experience it, you didn't get to experience it at all last year because of the pandemic and the games mm-hmm. being played in Los Angeles. The year before, they play the wild card game in Washington. So the Brewers are in their fourth straight year of being in the playoffs, yet the last time they played a home game in the playoffs was game seven of the NLCS in 2018. So it really it doesn't feel to many like this is that team that keeps getting in the playoffs because you haven't been able to experience it. I just think the, the crowd's going to, blow the roof off the place. And then uh, for Corbin Burns to be out there as a guy who should win the Cy Young award, if he can go out there and just pitch the way that he has been pitching all season long, I just feel like for the Atlanta Braves, they're really walking into a hornet's nest. Amen, Matt. That, that (laughs) is why we keep on inviting you back on the podcast. Corbin (laughs) Burns should win the Cy Young. I mean, I've been preaching it for years um, everyone kind of knows that by now. Um, but it, it, when it, when it came down to, uh, that, that final weekend there, Burns making his final start and everyone's like, Oh, you know, good start here. He'll solidify the Cy Young. He gives up a three run Homer in the first inning. And I saw so many people on Twitter be like, Oh, there goes the Cy Young. I'm like, that's not how it's going to work. Um, but he leaves after two innings, like, eh, just kind of a little tune up. Um, not really focused on too much. Weren't really thinking about going deep. Just went two innings, gave up three runs, but he locked up the ERA title. Um, first ERA title in Brewers franchise history. And just looking at all the numbers uh, that, that he had this year that, that he ended up finishing up with, even with that poor start um, in, in his final outing. Um, it's It's got to be Burns for, for the Cy Young. Yeah, his strikeout numbers, the strikeout to walk ratio, the FIP, uh, you get into some more advanced numbers and just the, you know, the, the it's incredible. He's doing, he's having a historic season. There are a lot of guys who win the Cy Young Award without a historic season, just a really good, fantastic season. Burns has put together a literal historic season. And what gets me frustrated, there's been some talk and I I think the world of like a Ken Rosenthal, but something that he's talked about recently is innings pitched as being a reason not to, not to vote for him. So he looks at Zach Wheeler and look, Zach Wheeler had a fantastic season. Zach Wheeler threw 213 innings. Burns didn't get anywhere near that, but it'd be one thing. Like if, if Rosenthal's making that argument and you're talking about Max Scherzer, throwing 213 innings compared to what Burns did, then okay, I'll listen to that argument. But Wheeler didn't have a Cy Young Award season. Wheeler had a fantastic season. Wheeler's going to get Cy Young Award votes. I would vote. I would give him a vote. Like I wouldn't vote him first, but he would be on my ballot. Uh, but he wouldn't. It's it's going to come down to Burns and Scherzer, you would think. So I don't know why people are bringing into the discussion the idea of innings pitch, because when you go compare Burns and Scherzer's innings pitched, they're in the same neighborhood of each other. Uh, Scherzer's a little bit ahead, but it's nothing statistically significant. So that's one of the things that really bugs me. I didn't understand that argument because that argument doesn't apply to what we're talking about right here. I don't know how any voter 
I I can see a path for Scherzer. I can see a, a path for Burns. Like if somebody votes for Scherzer, I'm not going to get angry at you. Like I can understand why somebody would look to Scherzer. There are arguments to be made for him, but I don't think there's arguments to be made for a Zach Wheeler. So why in the world is this innings pitch thing even being brought up in the first place? No, it's super weird. And I don't feel like I've heard this, that specific arguments in the past before either. Um, and if they were, you know, pitchers that were on a semi-even plane and you're trying to use that to separate the two, that's one thing. But if they were pitchers that were on a semi-even plane, Zach Wheeler's innings pitch should also raise his fan graphs war above Burns. And yet Burns at significantly less innings pitched is leading Wheeler by 0.2 in the war category. That right there should perfectly speak to how much more dominant as a pitcher Burns was than Wheeler. And yet you want to give Wheeler an edge just because he pitched more? Like, I don't, I'm also confused by that argument. That just makes no sense to me. Yeah, and look, names matter, right? Like that, when it comes to Scherzer, with all due respect to the baseball writers, and I think most of the baseball writers do, do a pretty good job, but there's going to be there's going to be a coastal bias, and there's going to be a name bias. There's going to be some people that they're having a really hard time choosing between Scherzer and Burns, and they're going to vote for Scherzer simply simply mm-hmm. because he is Max Scherzer. So I'm I'm worried that if Burns doesn't win it, it's going to be largely because of the just the name Max Scherzer. I think if you if you do that thing where you know you p- present the stats of one guy and you present the stats of another guy and you don't tell them who the stats belong to in that in a blind situation like that, I think it's really hard to vote for anybody other than Corbin Burns. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that, that's the same thing I was thinking, too. I mean, Scherzer's got the name brand. I mean, he's got three Cy Youngs to his name already. Every writer across baseball knows who Max Scherzer is. Not quite everyone knows Corbin Burns yet. Maybe they, maybe they do. Um, but I mean, yeah, just looking at the numbers, you know, you got it, it's really impossible not to go with Burns. I mean, Burns was third in the National League in strikeouts. He had 234 strikeouts. He was just two behind Max Scherzer, who had 12 more innings, and he was just 13 strikeouts behind Zach Wheeler, who had 213 innings. I mean, he's 50 innings behind Zach Wheeler, and he only has 13 fewer strikeouts. And it, what? Just absolutely remarkable. Yeah. Like, like the numbers that he's put up are insane. I have a list of 45 (laughs) records, MLB and franchise records that he set. This list would have been longer if it weren't for his last start um, being the way that it was. Because his last start went two innings and he gave up that home run, uh, he lost the franchise record for highest average game score in a season and lowest isolated power allowed in a season. He just missed out on those uh, records based on that final start. But if not for that, it would have been even more records. Um, And it's just, as you guys mentioned, such a historic season that – Whatever negligible amount of, you know, 12 innings, whatever it is, whatever difference that is, is nothing compared to to what he actually put up, the dominance he put up when he was out there on the mound. He was the best pitcher in baseball. He allowed the fewest base runners um, 
essentially in baseball. He gave up the fewest base hit, had, had one of the lowest batting averages against, um, you know, lowest on base percentage in franchise history, lowest slugging, lowest OPS, lowest OPS plus, like fewest earned, earned runs allowed, fewest extra base hits, like all these things. He was the best at eliminating hits and eliminating runs. And if that's not the Cy Young, then then what is like if that's not your part of your criteria, what is your criteria? Yeah, and I hope the people. So in every market, there's you know multiple members of the baseball writers, and so like for example, in Milwaukee, you have Tom Hodricourt and Todd Rosiak and Adam McCalvey and Andrew Wagner, those guys, and they I, I know for sure those four guys. I think you have to be in the Baseball Writers Association for ten years to start getting. I guess it's Hall of Fame votes that you get after 10 years. I guess you don't even need the 10 years for the for the uh, end of season awards. But one of those guys will use the Milwaukee vote for Cy Young, and one of those guys will get the Milwaukee vote for uh, MVP, so on and so forth. I just hope that the group of people, because I was I was bluntly surprised last year when Devin Williams won the National League Rookie of the Year. I, I didn't think there was any chance that he was going to win that award, uh, and he won it. So I think the hope is the type of writers who voted last year for Devin Williams, uh, I would think are the same type of writers who are going to vote for Corbin Burns this year. So you hope that those kind of guys were assigned the uh, the Cy Young Award vote this year in their respective markets. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that because we had Andrew Wagner on the podcast last year after um, the, the results came out for the Rookie of the Year. And he had the Rookie of the Year vote last year. And he did not have Devin Williams atop his ballot. So we had him on. We're like, dude, what gives? And he's like, you know, <laughs> explaining himself. And he essentially is telling us like, yeah, it should be Devin Williams. And it's like, well, then why don't you put him atop your ballot? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I. Uh, so it's funny you bring that up because I talked to him about it. I think when you're going through those ballots, you're you're really trying. Maybe you try too hard not to be a homer to the team that you cover, mm-hmm. and. Again, I think all of us were just shocked that Devin Williams won it. So you can sit there and go, well, Devin Williams should win it, but he's not going to win it. And then if you've got the vote in Milwaukee, you're 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 saying, am I am I being a homer? Like he looks like. So I understand I, I would have probably had the same dilemma as a, as a radio broadcaster. We're not allowed into the Baseball Writers Association, so I never have to worry about having uh, any of those type of votes. But like I understand you work so hard to not come off as a homer, not come off as somebody that's got any type of biases in the way that you cover a team. Uh, so I, I understand why a Milwaukee-based person might not have voted for Devin Williams because it really was a big shocker that he won it, and I'm glad that he did. Yeah, with Burns, though, I I worried the same thing, and I feel like we brought this up maybe a couple weeks ago, about Scherzer and his uh, name kind of getting... Um, potentially giving him the edge. I also worry, I feel like last year, I remember there being talk um, when it came to Cy Young votes about the fact that like Burns uh, didn't, wasn't a qualifier, that that made it hard for certain writers to, you know, look him up and see his stats readily available because a lot of writers sorted by qualified pitchers and stuff like that. And like, if that's the type of silly thing that can keep a person uh, from being considered for votes, I guess that's where my faith in some people to do the right thing sort of it makes me nervous a little bit uh, for Burns because uh, we all agree 
there's zero reason why Burns shouldn't be the Cy Young, but like, and maybe it's just, and you know, having been a Brewers fan for so long, having that small market complex, et cetera, you know, just gives me that little bit of inferiority complex when it uh, comes to things like this potentially happening. But I, I do have this worry as well in the back of my mind that something's going to go wrong and we're going to hear Max Scherzer's name called. Yeah, but he look, is I, a qualified starter this year. He yeah, is, so, true. true. So we, we don't have that issue. Right. And, and I bring up Devin Williams as a reason that Burns may win it, but then you can go back and you know think about the year that Snitker and think about the year that Schilt won the uh, the Manager of the Year award Ridiculous. over Council. Like The fact that Council does not have a Manager of the Year award yet is incredible. And I honestly... But, I. It'd be hard to actually like I think Gabe Kapler with the Giants has just done a really amazing job this year. And it'd be hard to vote against Kapler. But I thought those those other two years, uh, to me, it should have been council over, especially the Snitker year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it should have been council over Snitker, but certainly council over Schilt as well. Yeah. And like there just always seems to be someone that just, you know, takes the vote away. And it's like council is clearly arguably the best manager in <laughs> Arguably the best manager in baseball. Clearly one of the best. Clearly deserving of that kind of award. But, you know, it's just ridiculous. Um, but, yeah, we were mentioning Devin Williams. There. Speaking of Devin Williams, the dude's got a broken hand because he punched <laughs> a wall. And Matt and I went into this. Are this one explicit again, David? I'm going to try to restrain myself. Um, I, don't know, I don't know if Matt already got out his explicit thoughts on this um, on an extra innings podcast. Um, but Devin Williams has a broken hand because he fought a wall and he lost as everyone does when they fight a wall. And now you lose your eighth inning guy. And how do you replace him? With a bunch of different, like I was, um, I think it's going to look different every day. And I think the big reason it's going to look different every day is because I don't think Ashby's going to pitch him back to back games. So let's say game one, you're up by one. I think it's Boxberger in the seventh, Ashby in the eighth, and Hader in the ninth. I think they want to leave Boxberger in the seventh if they can. But let's say you're up by a run again in game two after you just ran through that in game number one. At that point, I don't think Ashby's coming out to pitch the eighth inning. I just have I have zero expectation that they're going to pitch him on back-to-back days. So then you have the question, what's worth more, leaving Boxberger in the seventh inning spot or moving Boxberger to the eighth? and looking at the matchup for the seventh inning, where maybe you use Cousins, maybe you use Strickland, maybe you use Suter. Um, that's, so I think it's going to look different every day. That was the wonderful thing about the Brewers back into the bullpen. You knew exactly what it was going to be every day, seventh, eighth, and ninth. There was no question marks. Those guys all did a really good job all season long. And now there's question marks because sometimes Boxberger might be in the seventh, sometimes he might be in the eighth. Sometimes you might have Ashby available. Sometimes you might not. Uh, the fact that you're going to be using guys in those high leverage situations, you know, a Hunter Strickland has turned into the starter's closer, right? Like if the if the starter goes five and a third and runs into a little bit of trouble, generally it's Strickland who comes in and closes it out in the six. Well, uh, if your starter goes a full six or a full seven and Strickland's not used, then maybe you use him in that seventh inning. But if you had to use Strickland, in the sixth inning that day, he's not available. So maybe you look to Jake Cousins. There's so many things that you're juggling now. To me, that's the big part of losing Williams is it's no longer just a we know exactly who you're going to see in the seventh, eighth, and ninth. Well, what was your reaction 
when you heard the news? <sighs> I felt really bad for him, to be honest with you. Um, look, I, I say this a lot. And David Stearns uses these exact same words. And anybody who listens to the post game show or listens to the podcast or anything that I do has probably heard me say this. Like so often somebody does something that's not smart or says something that's not smart. And my initial reaction is don't judge somebody on their worst moment. And that's exactly what David Stern said. And it's a big thing that I believe in because I know personally I've done some really dumb things in my life and I don't want to be judged on my worst moment. So I make it a priority that I don't judge others on their worst. And I try to, really push that point home when I, when I'm talking. So to me, there's a difference between like being an idiot and doing an idiotic thing. Devin Williams is not an idiot. He's not a dummy. He's not any of these names that people wanted to call him. It really frustrated me that people resorted to name calling, but did he do something really dumb? Yeah, he did. That was a really, really stupid thing that he did. He knows that his teammates knows that the organization knows it. It was a dumb thing to do. And it's impacting him. It's impacting the team. It's impacting the city. It might be impacting the future. Uh, we don't know. You, know, you you got a broken hand. You're going through surgery. You don't know for sure. I broke my hand when I was a high school wrestler. And to this day, if the rain comes in, I can start to feel it in my finger. Like you just don't know how things like that impact you. So I, we, you expect him to come back and, and be fine, but you don't know that for sure. So it was just, it was a really dumb thing that he did. And I got, so I just, the, the thing I don't want to have happen, I so don't want this to happen. I really don't want the Brewers to have a lead in the eighth inning and give it away because all I can imagine, you know, Williams is going to be in Arizona watching the game on TV and I can just imagine what he's feeling in that moment. Now, if it happens, he did it to himself. I'm a big believer in personal responsibility. There's no running away from this. He made that really dumb decision, so he's got to live with the consequences of it. But just as a human being, I really don't want him to have to experience watching his team uh, blow a game in the eighth inning. Yeah, I, we talked you know, last week about this and brought up the fact that, you know, Devin Williams has worked really hard to get to where he is. He's always I've always felt like he's had a great perspective. He's been a good guy, um, you know, someone that I've cheered hard for. We've all cheered hard for. And so, you know, as 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 fans who, you know, connect with some of the or want to, you know, think we connect with some of these players. You, you Yeah, you do feel bad for the guy. And we can only hope that you know, it doesn't end up in, you know, that situation where all of a sudden, you know, certain other fans who, like you said, you know, are going about this the wrong way um, or reacting to it the wrong way, start having those, you know, types of thoughts. Um, but, uh, you know, when it does come then to, you know, those situations at the end of games, I think there's two things I feel like that people are kind of forgetting right now. One, you, uh, you brought up, Matt, um, that, you know, Council has been preparing these starters to, you know, really be unleashed during the playoffs. And so, yeah, there may be these games where they are able to go seven plus innings and then you only have to worry about using a couple of the relievers. That's absolute best. I mean, best case scenario is they go nine, but best case scenario is they go a long way and we barely have to touch that bullpen. But I maybe it's a personal thing. I feel like in all this discourse about, you know, the high leverage situations that all of a sudden. Jake Cousins having been on the IL for just a little bit for the, those precautionary reasons at the end of the season 
he's just being like almost forgotten. And I get that he had a rough um, end of the season. Um, he finished the month of September um, with an ERA of nine. And so he did not nearly look as unhittable as he did for a large, large portion of the season. Um, but Craig Council trusted him in high leverage situations, you know, like he built his way um, into you know that level of trust with Council. And so I just I get the feeling that, you know, he will be one of those relievers that gets deployed. And yet um, I know Ashby's kind of, you know, one of the flavors of the week. And that's a player that a lot of fans mention as someone they'd like to see there towards the end of games. Um, Boxberger obviously has been in that situation really all year. And then Strickland, having been so strong since being acquired, um, gets kind of thrown into the mix as well. Um, But like Cousins, I don't know why. I just feel like he dropped off of a lot of people's radars here recently i think it's a combination and i think he's going to be used in a perfect world i hope they find a place to get cousins into a game you know if they get out perfect world huge lead game one and he's able to come pitch the sixth or seventh inning just to get that playoff experience for the for the first time he had a really good season he was incredible you mentioned the slow start there or the slow finish i should say he did have the slow finish but he doesn't have the experience in those uh, moments either. And actually, Craig Council kind of dismissed the idea of experience earlier this week. Somebody asked him about that. And he basically said, ah, you know, a lot of our pitchers have done pretty good in their first playoff appearances. So maybe experience isn't something that you need. And he might be right on that. Uh, but just b- between no playoff track record and a little bit of a slow finish, I think that's why people put up some red flags. But at the same time, he looked really good in Nashville. He was hitting 95, 96 there in Nashville when he uh, when he was there at the end of the season. Um, he's got some nasty, nasty stuff, and uh, yeah, he's gonna he's gonna be in that mix. And I think looking, you know, especially if it's a right-handed heavy uh, part of the lineup, that's probably where they're gonna be looking to get him in there because of uh, his arsenal. Just picking and choosing the right spots for him. It all of a sudden again that kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier. Before you just knew who you would have in the seventh, eighth, and ninth. Now matchups are going to play into those decisions as well. You know who I could really see being an outside the box candidate uh, to help out this bullpen or something down the stretch, help out this pitching staff. What about Ethan small? It, it's a, it's a outside the box chance, but we've seen it happen before, especially with uh, with Tampa Bay calling up guys to make their big league debut in the postseason. He'd have to be added to the 40 man. Um, but He's a high-profile prospect. It, I mean, if you're going to kind of trust some big moments, you know, Ethan Small's a – he's been in high-leverage moments. You know, it, it's been in college. You know, it, it hasn't been, you know, MLB high-leverage moments. But what do you guys think of the possibility that, you know, at, maybe at some point in this postseason run, if they're like, oh, man, you know, the, the pitching, we just don't quite have enough in that bullpen, let's call up Ethan Small. What do you think of that possibility? I think it would take another injury, to be honest with you, to go Mm -hmm. that far outside the box. That's Craig Council trusts veterans and trusts guys that he's seen. I just um, I like the idea of it because I'm super excited about Ethan Small. Um, I'm glad he was banged up there for a little while. I'm glad that he was able to have a strong finish to a season uh, in September, pitched to a sub three ERA uh, at AAA. It was really good to see that. I'm I'm pretty jacked up about the idea that this is a team that's going to have. Brandon Woodruff, Corbin Burns, Freddie Peralta, Aaron Ashby, and Ethan Small all under club control for a really long time. Like, there's so many reasons to be excited. 
I think there is a gamble that goes along with small. So I do think it would actually take an injury for that, uh, for them to even just start to cross that bridge. Yeah. I mean, most likely, but I would very much rather, I, I would right now much more easily trust Ethan small than I would Daniel Norris in an important moment in the game. I would, mu- I would much rather trust small over Eric Yardley or Hobie Milner uh, when it comes to a big moment that like I, I would, I would look to him over any of those guys when it came down to it. And I don't think any of those guys, you just, I don't expect um, Norris to be on the, the postseason. I roster. would hope not. Oh my God. <laughs> so here's um the game three thing. Cause you know, we've talked a little bit about the back end of the bullpen. Well, sometimes you can get a little bit further to the bullpen. I just, I have a feeling and I, I could be completely wrong on this and, Feel free to call me out on it once uh, we find out that Freddie Peralta is actually going to start game number three. But just a a little voice inside my head says maybe they go with an opener who can cover two innings at the start of game three. And then you go to Peralta after that with the idea that he can give you five or six. And all of a sudden you've got an express path to the eighth or ninth inning doing it that way. So instead of having a reliever who's maybe not used to being in the seventh or eighth inning. Basically those innings get covered at the beginning of the game instead of the end of the game. I just feel like something like that could happen, especially in game number three. Can't pull them after one batter anymore though. Nope. No, you can't. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No more. Here's, here's a question. I I, I apologize, uh, David, if I took this away from you because we compared notes a little bit. Um, if the Brewers were to go, you know, and they're in a situation where they're at four man rotation and they don't like switch back to Burns after three, do you go Hauser or Lauer? Lauer. I go Lauer for two reasons. First off, final two months of the season, he was one of the best pitchers in all of baseball, especially if you get rid of his final start. You can look at final month and a half season and you can actually make some statistical arguments that he was the best pitcher in the National League over that period. He was pitching really well. The other side of that is I think he and Adrian Hauser are very similar. I don't think any, either of those guys is going to give you that much better of a performance than the other be guaranteed of that. But what Hauser has is that sinking fastball. And that is one of the most effective pitches in all of baseball. And if you're at a moment where you really need a ground ball, having Hauser in the bullpen to throw the living heck out of that uh, sinking fastball I think is a bigger weapon than having Lauer out there. So in many ways, it's almost not fair to Adrian Hauser. If you, if you want to take the pathway to say a bullpen role is less than a starter's role, it's almost not fair to Hauser because his sinker is so good. You almost want to put him in the bullpen to pick and choose your spots with him. Yeah. And I think another factor too, as well, between those guys, Lauer's left-handed and none of the, no one in the big three is left-handed. Hauser's not left-handed. The only other starter that's left-handed is Brett Anderson. And even he admits he's probably not making the postseason roster. So I, I think that also gives Lauer an edge. If Anderson makes the postseason roster, I think he's a candidate for that situation that I just talked mm-hmm. about, that game three mm-hmm. thing. You have Anderson go through a couple innings and then go from there. If he makes the postseason roster, if he doesn't, when well, he probably won't. But just... 
I'm going to be, I really think that's a possibility if we find out uh, on, on Friday morning that he's on the postseason roster. But yeah, again, it's just you're, the left-hander stuff is, is an important part of this as well. Uh, you you want to have, part of the reason that the big three have been so effective is they're all a little bit different. Even though they're all right-handers, they do things in different ways. And the more different looks that you can give, whether it's handedness or the style of pitching is certainly uh, pretty important. Although to be fair, Hauser's different as well because of his ability to pitch to contact and uh, to get ground balls. Yeah. And the brave splits actually are slightly worse against lefties, although it's not by much is pretty close to even. Um, so to have that little change of pace uh, with Lauer jumping as, as a start could be a good thing, especially if you're looking at potentially trying to finish off the Braves at that point. Yeah. And I had somebody asked me this past week, if, if the Brewers are down two one going into game four, would I rather see Corbin Burns on short rest or would I rather see Eric Lauer? And I think the initial reaction to that is, well, you, know, you want to see Corbin Burns. But that's also a big gamble. Uh, we all remember the moments in the postseason where pitchers come back on short rest and have these amazing performances. But quite honestly, we remember those because they're notable, but they don't the 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 track record of pitchers on short rest in the postseason is not especially good. And as good as Eric Lauer was, and this, you know, this could be a decision that Craig Council might have to live with for an entire offseason if it goes bad. But even down two one, if you're deciding between Lauer and Burns, I still think I'd go Eric Lauer. Yeah, I mean, game four, that'd be what, three days rest at most? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, Burns hasn't gone on three days rest all season. He's been on what six days rest almost. It seems like for a lot of it. I mean that that would be really aggressive, and I think that would be very out of character for Craig Council to go with Burns uh, on game one and game four. Um, and I mean, really, for <laughs> just, I mean just, just to yeah, I mean Burns is twenty six. They've got so many more years ahead with him. I don't think they're going to be risking too much. I mean, they're going to get, let him go an extra inning or two, probably in his starts. But I don't think they're going to be pushing, you know, three days rest at most. Certainly not in the NLDS. When it comes to Game 7 of the World Series, all bets are off. Right. Even if he pitched in Game 6, he, he'd still probably, you know, be like, I can give you an inning or something. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But not in the NLDS. And that's... Yeah, you said I can't add anything more to what you just said. You're 100% right. Thank you. I love hearing that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on. Uh, Colton Wong has penned a letter to Brewers fans. Uh, he put it in the in the Players Tribune today. Um, basically, the 2021 version of Yelich's uh, "Let's Go" article. You know, getting the fans amped up, getting them ready uh, for the postseason. And Wong did it in a little bit of a different style. He told a story of when he was in the delivery room with his wife uh, when when his uh, son was being born. And first of all, you know, you hear that and you're just like, well, are, are we sure we're OK for telling the story? But <laughs> yeah, so he tells a story and he's literally and I'm sure he is not the first father to have been watching a game while his wife is in labor, but he's got the game on the iPad while his wife's in labor. He's helping like counting with the pushing. He's holding a leg and he, and then he sees Luis Urias hit a home run 
And he just starts screaming in celebration. He's like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. And his wife, just imagine, <laughs> just imagine trying to be in the middle of that, hearing the, hearing the screaming, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. And it's just like, what? Oh, Luis Arias hit home run. <laughs> it's a great story. It's a fantastic story. I know if I would have tried to pull that with my wife when she was uh, giving birth, that would not have gone very well. Luckily, nope. she went to labor at like five in the morning, so we didn't have to worry about any games <laughs> on TV other than the KBO, right? Uh, so, but it's a great story. Here's what I really got out of that, though, because he he told the story about when he moved in and his neighbors baking a pie for him and bringing it over. Um, uh, Milwaukee, like sports fans are really special sports fans. And, you know, he played in St. Louis and I know we all like to put down the Cardinals, but we, we can admit that St. Louis is a really good baseball town. That's a, that is a fantastic baseball city. Say what you want about the organization. That is a great baseball town. That's where he played. And I think he's being totally genuine when he's talking about the impact of coming to Milwaukee and the way the fans treat him and all of that. So the, the birthing story was the best part of it because it's such a funny story, but I thought the most impactful part was him talking about how he's been impacted by the fans because that is really genuine and coming from a place like St. Louis for it to feel even that much better in Milwaukee is something for Milwaukee sports fans and Brewers fans to hang their hat on. Yeah, like you said, like this isn't just some, you know, random guy penning a letter. This is Colton Wong. He's been around, you know, a classic franchise like the Cardinals. He's seen the playoffs, you know, he is he's been through, you know, quite a bit over there. So, um it feels it feels really good as a Brewers fan to know that, you know, he recognizes this as such a great atmosphere of fans and a great baseball community. Um, and everything he points out. And let's just throw out there one more time. I feel like we've brought up so many times on this podcast in the past, just the culture and atmosphere that the Brewers have always had around, which really um, started with um, Craig Council in particular taking uh, the role of manager. And this is just another example. Um, you know, he steps into it and just this clubhouse, this group of guys it never seems to matter. Like you have your turnover and you have some guys, you know, who are beloved, who make their way, you know, to other teams and you think things, you know, aren't going to be quite be the same. And yet every single year, it is always just something amazing about the group of players in that dugout, that clubhouse, at wherever, um, that you hear stories like this. And, you know, so it's it's no coincidence that now Colton Wong comes here and he's telling these stories about, you know, Milwaukee as a city and this team. It's stuff we've heard of. And it's it's amazing to continue hearing it. Yeah. Will Salmon recently wrote in The Athletic a story where he talked to a bunch of guys about what it's like to be managed by Craig Council and the way he communicates, the way he cares for you, all those things. And it's like. Now, he's the perfect manager for the Brewers because he's a really good manager. And then he's got this this love and this. He talks about it as his obligation. He feels like he has a baseball obligation to the city and the Brewers. Uh, but it's it is really cool. It, even you mentioned Brett Anderson earlier. He sent out that tweet after what he thought was going to be his final appearance. And he ended up making one more in the final game of the season. But just talking about, you know, that was him 
almost admitting, I'm probably not going to throw another pitch again for this team. But, oh, yeah, by the way, this organization is incredible and players should want to come to Milwaukee to play. That's a how many how many guys have you ever seen send a tweet out like that about another organization, another team? I mean, that's a that's a really unique and cool thing to send out. Yeah, I mean, Brett Anderson um, he may have a, a B minus uh, pitching game at this point in his career, but A plus Twitter game, one hundred percent. It has been excellent. He's um, fun. Fun dude. Very dry sense of humor, um, but real fun dude. Um, but yeah, the j- just counsel in, in general. I mean, as you kind of mentioned in, in Will Salmon's piece, I mean, it was it was excellent. Uh, friend of the podcast, Will Salmon, uh, putting that article out there, and. Yeah, communication is everything, uh, especially when it comes to things like this. And he's done a fantastic job of it. And, you know, we we talked earlier in in the pod about, you know, council deserving manager of the year awards, and he's probably not going to get them. And it's like it's things like this that don't show up in the in the win loss record at the end of the year. You know, it's not a quantifiable stat. But it's something that, that has a huge impact uh, on this team. It, it brings guys in. And I think that's what drew guys like Colton Wong um, and Jackie Bradley Jr. and other free agent signings. You know, the, the word has gotten out around baseball. Like players around the league know what it, you know, that there's a winning culture and there's a really good culture and great communication in the Brewers organization. Players know that. Um, so, it may not be the biggest money when you come here, but they know that you're going to have a whole lot of fun and it's, it's a really great organization to play for. Yeah, and you're probably going to get to the postseason because they've gotten to the postseason four straight yeah. years. Yeah. Everything you said is, um, is correct. And it's, uh, yeah, it's fun. It's fun to watch him, uh, go through it. And here's the, like, I get frustrated because there's a lot of the, you go read. I, I read a lot of stuff from other cities, especially when the Brewers are playing. If they're playing in St. Louis, I'm reading the, the St. Louis newspaper, Cincinnati, the Cincinnati newspaper, so on and so forth. And columnists across the country think the absolute world of Craig Council. And then for some reason, we have this vocal minority in Milwaukee of people who just can't stand the guy. Oh, and God. never oh. understood why. Uh, I promise you, if the Brewers do not win the World Series this year, when their their season could end in Game Seven of the World Series, which I think we can all agree, if that happens, pretty darn successful season. I promise you, the night that they lose that game, I'm gonna have phone call after phone call <laughs> on my post game show of people who want Craig Council fired. I'm dead serious. Yep. It happens uh, all the time. It happens even if it just happens on on random losses, you know, and, and it's always for because people want a runner bunted over and stupid stuff like that. It's, <laughs> it's incredible how many people dislike a guy who to me is just so clearly one of the best managers in baseball. And so likable too. I mean, he's mm-hmm. like, like, I don't think there's anything about his personality. That's really just like unlikable, you know, when, when it comes to how he manages, when it comes to, you know, how he talks about his players, um, he's a really likable dude. And yeah, I, I know a bunch of people that just really don't like him. They're really frustrated with him. You know, they'd re- they'd maybe maybe rather go with a different reliever than the one that he chose to go with. And it's like, oh, why'd you go with this guy? You know, this guy gave up a single run. Like, it, it's clearly a bad decision. The guy I would have chosen 
would not have given up a run in that situation because sure, let's just go with that. Um, but yeah, it, it's great. Twitter's a mess when it comes to like some of the things like that, like especially over the last week. It was so insane how many people were just like, oh, my God, this team has lost it. Uh, they've got nothing. Council is, has lost his team. He's not even trying. They don't even care. I'm so worried about this, you know, postseason and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, oh, my God, you guys, chill out. Right. Cardinals are clearly going to win the World Series because they went on a hot streak <laughs> at the end of the season. Yeah. That Brewers, lasted uh, one yeah, game. One game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I sent this tweet out a few times. Like, there is statistical evidence that proves – Zero, zero correlation mm-hmm. to how you finish out the regular season and how you you go into the postseason. Sometimes you're hot and you stay hot. Sometimes you're hot and you go cold. Sometimes you're cold and you get hot. Sometimes you're cold and you stay cold. Zero correlation. But again, there's going to be people, if they don't play well in this Brave series, if they lose, let's say they lose in four games or something, there's going to be people that are puffing out their chest. And they, I told you they should have taken those games more seriously down the stretch. And I, I can talk to him blue in the face. Zero correlation between the two. Yeah, there yeah. are people that wanted Andy Haynes fired after opening day. Yep. I mean, we we talked about there were people who wanted Chris Hook fired at the very beginning. Oh, yeah, in 2019. Right. There are people who wanted Derek Johnson. My first year was, I think, Derek Johnson's first year. Maybe it was his second. Was he high? Was he hired for Council's first full season as manager? Did they keep the previous pitching coach when Council took over midseason? Is yeah, yeah, they, they they kept Kranitz through 2015, um, okay. and then they got then they cleaned house, and then Council hired his own staff starting in 2016. Okay, so that was my first year covering the team, and I can't tell you how many times I got phone calls on the post game show telling me that Derek Johnson is nothing more than a college coach and he needs to be fired, and then he leaves to go to Cincinnati and it's the Chris Hook stuff, and then the pitching is incredible, so it's the Andy Haynes stuff. Uh, people always want coaches fired, and I'm I'm a big believer in yeah, you know what? There is a time and a place to fire coaches. I'm not I'm not saying that there's not, but more often than not continuity like guys get hired for a reason you get a job because you're qualified for that job so if you let somebody settle into that job and stick around for a while generally continuity is going to be more valuable than just having a quick hook and firing somebody yeah. hook get it uh, chris chris hook yeah yeah <laughs> uh I, I such a like great that, name too for a pitching coach but yeah go ahead i feel like that day recently where facebook went down for like half the day was actually oh, what a beautiful great day. thing to quiet the anti-council crowd because that Brewers Facebook group is, oh my gosh, that is something. Somebody at, at recently asked me, like, are you in that thing? I said, no, no, oh, I'm, stay I've, away. Never, I've never seen it. I, yeah, occasionally I'll hop on, uh, on brewerfan.net and look through their forums every once in a while. I'm not a member there. I just kind of lurk every once in a while. If I, if, if I get a bunch of phone calls about something or people on Twitter are saying something, sometimes I'll go there to try to gauge the fan base's reaction a little bit. But honestly, I try to kind of stay away from from all of that. I don't I don't I, I don't know from like professionally if I want uh, any of my thoughts being, uh, you know, changed through that or anything. But I, I kind of stay away from that stuff more often than not. Smart. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very smart idea. The comment sections are just it's a mess. Yeah. Um, all right. So let, let's kind of wrap up here with our predictions for this series, how it's going to end up going. Um, Matt, Pauly, uh, we'll start with you. How do you think this uh, series 
finishes up. Who wins? How many games? Brewers and four. Brewers and four. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think they win game one. I'm worried about game two. And then, yeah, we'll see what happens there. Uh, but uh, I would I would say even one one and then maybe they, they take the next two after that. Yeah, I'm also, I'm also going to go uh, Brewers in four. And I like that um, thought that Brewers go into game four with a 2-1 lead. They do throw Lauer to start. They piggyback Hauser with them a little bit. And then Hader brings it home. Well, God damn it, guys. Now you're just making me look like the, the guy who's choosing the same thing. Because I had Brewers in four. Uh, That's great. Minds think alike. The vast, yeah. I would think, I, I don't have the research to back me up, so maybe I'm just talking out of my backside, but it feels like most of these five-game series end in four. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. But maybe, I mean, in 2018, that one ended in three, um, with the Brewers just sweeping the Colorado Rockies, who have been an absolute dumpster fire ever since then. Um I, I think I think the Brewers broke the Colorado Rockies that year. I, I really think they did by sweeping them. That Mustakis, the, that's my the, the Mustakis walk off where he it broke him. It just a split second before, mm-hmm. and if you know that that game would have continued on if I wouldn't have if the catcher would have held on and he didn't, and then yeah, but uh, yeah, I lived in Colorado because I before I was here. I was uh, broadcasting for the AAA team in Colorado Springs, which had been a Rockies affiliate. Then it became a Brewers affiliate for one year, and that was kind of my path to here. But yeah, so I've got honestly, I've got kind of a soft spot in my heart for uh, for the Rockies because I worked in that organization for uh, for five years. But man, they they I they just hired uh, their interim general manager to full time GM. When they moved him to the interim role midway through the season, they said they're going to wait until the end of the Major League Baseball postseason to do a full search. Like that was their thing. And then they don't. And they just hire this guy who's just part of what they've been doing. And it's frustrating because that's a good fan base out there. And they fill up that ballpark. And yeah, I mean, they you might be right. The Brewers may have broken them in, in 18 yeah it, it's honestly been been a mess since then and got the, the, like their comments too that's just like oh yeah i mean he just did such a great job that like you know we just felt you know we had to go with him you know we couldn't go with anyone else i'm like a great job like he he didn't trade away story to get you anything he didn't trade away cj crone didn't get you anything to refill your farm system as a former farm director like, oh my God, just a, just a mess. But hey, it's not our problem. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I, I think it's going to be either three or four for the Brewers. Um, I would say four, but just to be different from you two guys, uh, because the Mets apparently are just they, they're just going with the same answer here. I'm just going to say three then. Okay. You know, say sweet. You know, yeah, Corbin Burns has an excellent start. Uh, Brandon Woodruff, also excellent. Freddie Peralta does his Freddie Peralta things uh, in game three. Christian Yelich comes alive in this series. Oh, it starts. Okay. He, he had the Instagram post. He had the tweet the other day. He said, now the season begins. He's ready. He had a marathon hitting session with Andy Haynes the other day. He's going to be coming out, and he's going to hit two bombs in these okay. three games. He, he's going to hit two bombs within three games. I like so it. that's that, that's my bold prediction for what happens here. Love it. 
All right. So I think that's a good spot to end off on that bold prediction. Um, as we recalled, you know, a couple of weeks ago, my a few of my bold predictions this year have come true, namely the no hitter. Oh, I boldly predicted a no hitter would happen, and it happened. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I told I told that to Jeff Levering. He's like, oh, okay. I'll, we'll see. And then it ended up happening. I'm like, Jeff, I told you. He's like, you did. So that was a fun Let's episode. Keep going. That, that was a that was a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I I, I got to brag. I got to bring it up and, and mention it because it's not often that I'm right with the bold predictions. So because <laughs> I like bold. to I like to go bold. But my other bold prediction of Freddie Peralta uh, locking himself into the rotation and establishing himself as a third starter that one also worked out. Because I remember back in spring training, everyone's like, oh, he's probably better off in the bullpen. No. No, nah, he's he's a starter. Yeah, I All was right. in the group, and I was wrong. I'm glad you were right. I I thought I thought bullpen for Freddie, and I'm I'm very glad I was wrong on that. No, it's you, you're not alone in that. I mean, there, there were a lot of people that were, that were thinking bullpen Freddie is going to be better, but he proved a lot of people wrong, and really kind of all along the way. I mean, it, it, it's been fantastic for Freddie, and and great to see it for him. Um, so I kind of hope he gets that game three, uh, start instead of that opener thing, but anything's possible. I'm going to stop rambling now. All right. That that's going to do it for this week's, uh, cold brew podcast episode. Be sure to, uh, follow and subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at cold brew underscore pod. Follow me at D 24, follow Matt Carroll at MKE Matt 13. And you can follow, Matt Polly, of course, at Matt Polly on air. That'll do it for us this week. Uh, be sure to tune in next week when we should have some NLDS uh, reaction and hopefully some uh, NLCS preview action next week for another episode of the Cold Brew Podcast.